Ah, yes. As Nate and the Hawks part ways. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Chuckery Nakia Studios. Final hour of the program is the start of the Brown Liquor Music Hour. Chuck Rose gets first request. A uh, little earth, wind, and fire. You know, after all the love is gone, that's Nate and the Hawks right now. 404-741-0929. That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us on the go. Social media is at 929thegame on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can follow me at JMCH316 on my personal Twitter page. All right, here's what we're going to do. 1020, we're going to replay Brad Rowland for you um, as we caught up with the Hawks reporter, hosted Locked On Hawks uh, podcast. We'll break that all down. Uh, 1040, we're going to have a little bit of fun. Let's lighten up the mood a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about the Elimination Chamber, the, uh, biogra- the A&E biography on NWO, the rivals on Hogan and Andre. So we'll get into wrestling talk at the uh, 1040 segment. Um, so we'll get into some Hawks basketball up next. But first, let's get to our NFL squib kick. Take a look at the NFL with the squib kick with John Shuckery. Sports Radio 92.9, the game. So the Panthers' Jim Caldwell said he is done seeking out NFL head coaching job. So Panther senior assistant Jim Caldwell, one of the faces of the NFL uh, over these last few decades as far as black NFL head coaches, said he doesn't plan to pursue another head coaching job. Quote, right now, the only job that I'm concerned with, or, or sorry, the only job that I'm concerned about is the job I do here, right here and now. Um, he said, I'm not worried about the future or anything else. I don't plan on being a head coach from this point forward. So obviously he's been the former coach of the Colts, Detroit Lions, um, 68 years old. It's not the youngest guy either, but um, uh, Frank Reich hired Caldwell as a senior assistant to report to him on all phases of the game. Uh, quote, when I didn't get a head coaching job, I immediately sort of changed the plan in terms of what I was looking for next. I knew I was at a stage where I wanted to be back in the building somewhere. And so I did have some opportunities to kind of look at, and I was happy when Frank called. So there you go. Um, so, you know, look, uh, one of the, you know, certainly very good assistants uh, in the NFL. Um, he said, quote, uh, when talking about hiring more black coaches to be head coaches in the NFL, when you look at the numbers, they speak for themselves. There have been volumes and volumes of articles written and reporting on television about the lack of diversity in terms of the head coaching position, but there's been a lot of things in the background to try to improve that. Now, obviously, we saw that Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator slash assistant coach now for the Washington Commanders. I do believe, and I said this the other night, I do believe that when Andy Reid said that he was going to be back and coming back for a while, that he became he, – he wasn't going to be the coach in waiting. Eric Bieniemy wasn't going to be the coach in waiting anymore because I think he would have certainly been the coach in waiting. If Andy Reid had decided to step down after the last Super Bowl or two or whatever, I think he would have been the coach in waiting. I don't think there's much doubt about that. But I think that the reason he decided to go to Washington is because I think Ron Rivera – is 
I don't want to say he's on a short leash, but I think I think his time is limited as far as how much longer he's going to be a head coach. I, I don't think it's coincidence that he picked the particular job of going to Washington. So I will say I'll conspiracy theory, I'll hot take Tommy at all that he's gonna he's gonna be the coach in two or three years for the Washington Commanders. Uh, new OC for the Ravens, a familiar name that we know here, Todd Munkin. Not worried about if Lamar Jackson holds out or not. Um, talking about the, the idea that he's got an elite skill set and he believes uh, Jackson's underrated as a passer, um, but he certainly doesn't know if he's going to be part of offseason workouts or things like that, and certainly he'll probably receive the franchise tag, which could be the exclusive kind where he can't be signed by anybody, um, but we'll see what happens with all of that. Munkin didn't sound worried that Jackson could wait until the week before the regular season to report. Uh, he says, sure, he'll be behind, but it's still just football. Sometimes we make this out to be way too much. We'll cater to what he knows and play. Now, listen, that's the old theory and the old axiom that Randy McMichael always says. Football's easy. Coaches make it hard. Uh, he said the biggest challenge to an extended holdout by Jackson is developing a rapport with him being Munkin. I mean, it's like any any player. The more time you spend with them, the more comfortable they get uh, with any system. That's more relationship, and that's part of it. And there's a big part of that relationship from a quarterback, coordinator, play caller, position coach, where they're comfortable, and there's a trust, and that's built over time. Um, so we'll see. Um, you know, obviously, that's going to be the that's going to be the big thing that happens this offseason. I, I still think that Lamar Jackson ends up as a Baltimore Raven. I, I think when all the smoke clears, I think the two guys. I think Justin Fields is a Chicago Bear. And I think Lamar Jackson's a Baltimore Raven. So there were a couple highlights from this uh, press conference with Todd Munkin. He, there were eight or six checkpoints of what a good offense is, according to Todd Munkin. One, okay. don't turn it over. Right. Two, be explosive. Three, score touchdowns in the red zone. Four, be good on third down. Five, don't have lost yardage plays. Six, have an athletic quarterback who can make off-schedule plays. Simple as that. Okay, I, I could have written that list. Simple as that. Yeah. Coaches make it hard. Football is easy. Yeah. Yeah. How about have a good defensive line, a good offensive line, and great quarterback play? You know what wins in the NFL? All the great teams a, do it. A good defensive line, a good offensive line, and great quarterback play. You know what always wins in the NFL? A great defensive line, great offensive line, great quarterback play. You know what wins the Super Bowls? Great defensive line, great offensive line, Outstanding quarterback play. You know why you get to the Super Bowl? Great defensive line, great offensive line, great quarterback play. Why is it so hard, John? I don't know. Ask ask our general manager. Ask ask our general manager because we got unicorns like Michael Pruitt. Anyway, um, LaShawn McCoy talking about Eric Bieniemy. <laughs> um, so he spent the 2019 season in Kansas City, right? We all know that, and. Um, you know, he certainly was a, a piece of Eric Bieniemy's offense. And McCoy says Reed was the reason for the Chiefs' offensive success. So on, I guess he said this on FS1, um, Bieniemy was riding Reed's coattails in Kansas City. Quote, 
What's his value? What makes him a good offense coordinator? The problem is a lot of these people that go that go on social media, he should be the guy for the job. They haven't played there, McCoy said. I've been in I've been in the rooms where he's coaching and he has nothing to do with the pass game at all. When the pass, when the plays are designed, that's Andy Reid. When you talk about offensive coordinators, I can tell you what makes Brian Dayball with the Giants a very good coordinator. I can tell you about Andy Reid or Doug Peterson, but Eric Bieniemy, what makes him good? When we watch the film of practices and we correct the wide receivers, the running backs, the quarterbacks, and he doesn't talk in there, Andy Reid talks in there. He says, nonetheless, he's wishing success for Bieniemy in Washington. I'm rooting for him because he's a black coach, and I love to see black coaches win. He's also a running backs coach. Running backs uh, coaches never get a chance to be offense coordinators, so I want him to do well. But if I have to do my job, and to be honest, my thing is, where is his true value at? So there are people that say that Eric Bieniemy is the guy that has held back Eric Bieniemy, And that's why I say I, I think that once Andy Reid said he was going to be around for a while, and he was not, and look, I, I think that there was a succession plan in place. And I'm just speculating, but let's go rumor and innuendo. I think that he had a succession plan in place, and he thought he was going to be that. And I think he looked for, look, he'll be the most scrutinized offensive coordinator in the NFL, right? Who, who's their quarterback right now? Is it still Carson Wentz or Taylor Heineke? I mean, Taylor Heineke's a free agent. Sam Howell. Sam Howell. That's who's quarterback one, yeah. yeah. So, if they he gave can, him the start in the final game of the season, then right. they were going to well, give well, him a shot. But they but they said that he was going to go into the year quarterback one because Taylor Heineke is a free agent this year. So if he can make Sam Howell, and I think Sam Howell's a pretty good player, if he can make him, you know, I'm not saying Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. But if he can make him comparable or just get him to be something that's, I don't know, you know, just – Something above the fray, then you know he'll be he'll be godlike in that town. I mean, if they win and they have a really good offense and all that, but you know the proof will be in the pudding. You know, I mean, not everybody's Pat Mahomes. You know, Andy, listen, Andy Reid even looks good with Pat Mahomes there. Pat Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. If you put every player into a free agent draft pool, and you put every player available in a free agent draft pool. If, if a general manager would not take him with the number one pick, then that general manager should be fired because he is the best and most important player in the league now. Used to be Tom Brady, but now that Tom Brady's out of the league, Pat Mahomes is the best and most important player available to you. According to David Carr, Derek Carr's brother, his free agency process is about to be very long. Uh, says the former pro bowler, will do his due diligence in choosing his new team. Can I tell you that I don't want him here, though? Can, can I tell you that I hope the Falcons are not one of the teams? He's obviously met with the Saints. He's met with the Jets and things like that. Can I tell you I don't want him here? You know why? You know why, Garrett? Why I don't want him here? Because he's a loser. Raiders franchise from his first year to his final year were three wins better. Three wins better. He played in one playoff game. 
Quote, he had a great trip, but honestly, it's going to be a long process. David Carr said in an interview with the NFL Network, he really only has the Saints, the Raiders, and the Jets to kind of compare those uh, three places to. But So he wants to do his due diligence and see as many places as he can to get a feel for what's best for him. Now, listen, I, I hope that I hope that you got the clip. Le who, the her. See, I got the L on my forehead. Le who, the her. Yeah. Uh, let him go to Carolina. I'd I'd like to face Derek Carr for twice a year. I'd like to. That the best team that he had when he was Oakland was that thirteen and three team that had Khalil Mack and it had. Amari Cooper in their prime and all those guys. And then Connor Cook had to play quarterback because he got knocked out. He broke his leg. Yeah. But he was the only, but his only playoff game was not this past season, but the year before when they lost to the Bengals in the Bengals Super Bowl year, the, the team that went on to play in the Super Bowl that year. But no thanks. He's what, 63 and 79 as a starter? Like the, the franchise for the Raiders hasn't moved forward. That their franchise has not taken any kinds of steps, and they have not been a perennial playoff contender. So, no thanks. I, I don't want anything to, to do with him. So, all right. When we get back, we will hear from Brad Rowland. Had a chance to speak with him a little bit earlier on in the show. What he had to say about this Nate McMillan situation. Chuck Green, Kia Studios, Sports Radio, ninety-two nine The Game, Odyssey.com. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, back with you on the John Chuckery Show, hanging out in the Key Studios on this Monday evening. 404-741-0929. That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. The Odyssey app is how you catch us on the go. Social media at 929 The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can follow me at JMCH316 on my personal Twitter page. Well, obviously, everything abuzz around the Atlanta Hawks as Nate McMillan has been released from his duties as head coach. Let's head out to the wadeford.com hotline. Let's talk to our buddy Brad Rowland. He is the host of Locked On Hawks, a daily Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Network. I think I know somebody else who's on that network. But anyway, uh, he is on Twitter at BT Rowland. Brad, as always, buddy, appreciate it, man. Thanks for jumping on in such a quick fashion as uh, news breaking everywhere, huh? Yeah, it was uh, not exactly expected. I'm, I'm not shocked, but I am surprised for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I asked this question, and, and maybe you can shed some light on it. I understand not doing it right around the All-Star game, but Landry Fields even said that, well, you know, certainly the last couple of games played a definite factor in this in, you know, giving up 266 points to the uh, uh, Hornets and the, and the Knicks. Why not just fire him after Wednesday night's performance instead of waiting until now? Yeah, it, it's a reasonable question for sure. And I actually, you know, not to say that I was going to report it or anything like that, but I was hearing a little tiny bit of buzz on Thursday and Friday that he could be in trouble. And then when it went away, like nothing happened, I kind of assumed it was over and it was going to just be business as usual. So, yeah, it's maybe, just, maybe it's just that they want to stay out of the way of the league and the league might want – not a lot of bad stories around All-Star Weekend. I don't know what it would be, but I think your logic is right there. Like, 
you would want the staff, granted, it, it is Nate's staff, they're not going to be able to make huge changes in between now and the next game. Gameplay-wise, they're going to practice this week, and um, you know, it won't be a, a total overhaul, but it would have been probably helpful for all parties to know this four or five days ago, uh, maybe have the weight lifted a little bit. On the other side, I guess they might have had their reasons, or maybe it came from the top and they just kind of decided after a three- or four-day powwow to go ahead and move on, but the timing is a little bit weird for sure. So nobody thought that Nate McMillan would be back next year. Nope. No Hawks reporter. Nobody. When I talked to guys around the league, nobody thought Nate McMillan would be back next year. Why do you think now with 23 games left? And and, I mean, more than just the all-star break and it's a natural break in the action, but with 23 games left of the season, why do you think the change had to come now? I think it's a combination of things. I mean, you mentioned it, it is a very natural place to do it. Even though we just talked about they waited a few extra days, it does give them a very rare time when you actually have like back-to-back practices to make a change. Most of the time in the NBA, you don't have more than one practice at a time, and uh, really it's, the schedule is pretty daunting. That's one part of it. I think also just, you know, it was leaked out by the Hawks to Woj and others that they still want to salvage this season. I'm sure part of that is that. Um, I'm skeptical that, you know, going from Nate to Nate's staff without Nate is going to make a huge difference necessarily, but maybe that's part of it. And I think a big chunk of it, especially if you look at who's been reported as being potential candidates, is that there is a first mover advantage. If the Hawks want to get out there and be the first team to have an opening and kind of be able to get their ducks in a row for next year and beyond, there is a little bit of an advantage to saying, all right, guys, we're open for business, especially if like Quinn Snyder is a guy on their list or whoever, guys they can actually you know, maybe talk to now or at least get in the mix for before the season ends. There's probably an advantage there as well. So it's probably a little bit of all those things. But if you're looking for like one shining reason why they moved on, I think there's probably not going to be one for you. It's probably a lot of, a lot of different things that we're playing into the formula. Brad Rowland, host of Locked On Hawks, a daily podcast about the Atlanta Hawks, joins us here on the WaitFord.com hotline. I know everybody, you know, in life likes to centralize the blame onto just one entity, whether it's players, coaches, front office owners, and things like that. But I've been preaching the idea that I don't think anybody has their hands clean in this. I don't think, I think everybody has dirty hands. It wasn't just the Nate issue. It wasn't just a player issue. It wasn't just a front office issue. It wasn't just an owner issue. Do you think that this is kind of everybody's got their hands dirty in this whole thing, or is there one person that you put above everybody for why we're where we're at? I think we're on the same page, honestly. You know, it's a very natural fan reaction in particular to just put it on the coach. That's a very natural thing. I think, you know, in the last few months, it's been very clear that the fan base has turned on Nate McMillan after thinking he was kind of the second coming a couple of years ago when he took over from Lloyd Pierce. It's kind mm-hmm. of funny to see some of the turns and reactions there. Um, and look, I don't think Nate was a perfect coach by any means. I think he's probably not the answer that's going to make the Hawks a contender, but he is not, he's far from the only problem, to your point. I think ownership has, deserves a big part of the blame. I think that anytime you, know, you are in the face of an organization, you're the, you're the money person and you set the culture. Um, Tony is not blameless at all. I think the front office, you know, has now obviously been overhauled, but Travis wasn't perfect. This new group obviously has their feet wet now a little bit, but they have a lot of uncertainty. The players have not played well. Um, it's it's everything, and I think that is uh, it's hard to communicate that. It's not a satisfying answer, but uh, I think it would be very silly to put all of the blame, or at least even a lion's share of the blame, for the Hawks' underperformance on Nate. It's also a very natural thing to move on, especially in the NBA. This is this is just what happens when a team underperforms. The head coach gets fired. 
it's a very it's a very frequent thing that's happening for years across the league, and that's nothing new. But uh, him being the scapegoat is it's a, it makes some sense, but it's not going to solve everything right away for sure. You know, Brad, I I saw the same tweet from StatMuse that that you put into context about the fourteen teams and things like that about how the Hawks are among a starting five that's played three hundred minutes. They're the number one defensive efficiency team in the league and there's only 14 teams. I understand that, but that's still about half the league that, that has done that. Why? It doesn't feel like that though, right? Like, I mean, when you read that stat and I'm not disputing what stat muse has put out there, but nothing, maybe it's just a recency bias of, well, they gave up 266 points in the last two games that they played. Maybe it's that, but nothing about that stat just, says, man, they really are a good defensive team when they all play together. I, I, I can't wrap my arms around all of that and that stat that, that was put out there. Yeah, it, it is tough. And, you know, something I've been saying a lot, and it, it is true objectively, when they have all of their starters available, they're 19 and 11 this year. And that's not going to set the world on fire, but that, that's a good team. If you're 19 and 11 over a 30-game sample, that's a, that's a good basketball team. And I think the defensive stats, like you said, I I, there's not really a world where this team is like an elite defense that doesn't really exist. I don't think, but they are generally good when their starters play together. But I, I've been saying this a lot recently. You can't just bank on being healthy all the time. Like in the NBA, it'd be nice to have perfect health, but nobody has perfect health. And if your entire roster is constructed to where you can't withstand even one injury at a time, especially when it's not even a Trey Young, it's not, it's like, it's, it's, it's your best player that's out all the time. It's just like, a, if anybody's out, they suddenly just get a lot worse and you just can't function that way. So, I think the recency bias plays into it. They, they have been very bad defensively in the recent past, kind of hilariously, as their offense has been better recently. Early in the season, their offense was the problem. And now it's been a defense again, and it's kind of back to where it was a couple of years ago, really the last couple of years, where it's been an offense first team that can't get stops. And finding that, that equilibrium is a very important thing. And aside from the starting lineup, which you said accurately has been good this year, Every other group, for the most part, has been something less than great. And, uh, again, you, you can't just bank on your, your starting five playing all your minutes. And, because even, even the best teams that are the healthiest teams, you only play so many minutes with your actual starting five, and your bench has to be a factor as well. And how much, Brad, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's ever just one guy that's out. It seems like it's two, three. I think we had one game where four starters were out. You know, that, that seems to be it just kind of spirals that – it's never just like one guy that's that's dinged up or something like that. It always seems like it's like two or three guys that we miss at one time. Yeah, they've definitely been clustered together. I mean, it's interesting because if you look at the numbers and the way the, the games played have gone, you know, last year and two years ago, the Hawks had a lot more injury issues than they've actually had this year. If you look at them compared to the rest of the league this year, they've actually been above average in sort of health luck. They've had their guys more often than other teams have. But like you said, when they're missing two guys at once, or if you're just if you're constructed to like have this, they have this depth this depth issue, and they solve some of that deadline by getting Sadiq Bay. But if you were asking me what their number one problem is on the roster coming into the season, I would have said their their extended depth. Like when everybody's healthy, they have a good top eight, top nine, but their ten through twelve, ten through thirteen is very bad. And I think those guys end up playing real minutes when you have any kind of injury, and that can kind of sort of, uh, I don't know, have the ball down, the sort of ball rolling downhill on you a little bit because, um, you know, with one thing breaking, they don't have a lot of depth to fill it in. When Trey's out, they don't have a lot to fill in. When Jante's out, same thing. When Capella's out, 
And uh, they just kind of have some, they have so many quote unquote irreplaceable guys that you, you become to where if anything goes wrong, you're in dire need of a, uh, of an overhaul. Brad Roland joining us on the waitfor.com hotline, host of the locked on Hawks podcast, the daily podcast about the Atlanta Hawks. So this is, this is what I personally believe that this decision and, and this goes back to, I think, the separation of the owner from the general manager and all this. This is what I personally believe, that this is going to be a Tony wrestler hire. And I think that my personal belief is that he's going to go into deep waters. He's going to go for a home run hire, a splashy hire. And I'm not saying that – I'm not saying Kyle Korver and Landry Fields won't have a say in all of this – but this feels like it's going to be a Tony wrestler hire when all is said and done. Do you think that way? Or do you think, you know, this is going to be Fields and Corver that ultimately make this decision? I think with Tony wrestler, and we don't know what's going to happen for sure, but I think with Tony wrestler, there's a track record now where every big move is a Tony wrestler move on some level. He, he's very, very involved by ownership standards. And that can be good and that your owner does want to win. Uh, it could also be bad if your owner starts to override your basketball people. And I think that's been a, a line that he's walked in the past and I think has, has crossed in the past from what I have heard and what he's even admitted to on the record at times. Like he's been a little bit reactionary. He's, a, he's an emotional guy. He's a competitive guy. And I think that anytime you get to a level where you're making a, a front office decision like a GM hire or a head coaching hire, the owner is always going to be in the mix. So if I had to guess right now, and it's still very early, obviously it's only been a few hours, but I think that you will see, you know, a combination of fields and corporate, maybe compile a list. And then at the end of the day, that hire has to be stamped or put across the finish line by Tony. And I think, you know, he definitely, he definitely likes to splash. No question about that. I think the first and most prominent name that's been out there the last few hours is Quinn Snyder, who's an established high-end coach. And that would be a pretty splashy move. He also has Hawk, he also has Hawks ties being a uh, assistant under, under Budenholzer with Tony on uh, with Tony already as the owner. So maybe that's sort of the connection there, but that would qualify under what you're saying there. But if you go to a, to the next level or two down and you get into the assistant pool, that's no longer splashy. And is that, is that going to be okay with him? We'll see. But really Snyder's the only sort of, I would say very, very prominent name that's been out there. Other guys that are notable like Kenny Atkinson and Charles Lee who have Hawks ties, but if it's the splash thing, um, you know, Tony, it's going to be a big part of that because honestly, that costs real money, which doesn't apply to the salary cap. But if you're Tony Wrestler, you, you got to be able to cut the check. And by the way, that would be your third guy that you're paying because David Millen is uh, going get, to be getting paid next year and the year, about, and the year after that. He's going to contract for a long time. And that's an ownership decision. You've got, you've got to be willing to pay that guy. And to make a splash, it's going to cost him some, uh, some big money. What about a name that a lot of people are attaching, an Emie Odoka? Um, obviously, that's another name that that fans are instantly saying, let's get this guy, let's get this guy. But what do you think about a, a, a guy like that bring, bringing him in as the coach? I think it's plausible. It, it struck me as notable that none of the major newsbreakers mentioned him today. Like, no one's reported him as a candidate, which doesn't mean that he's not a candidate. But usually, if that was a guy who was in the mix, you would have heard about it by now. And I think, you know, obviously he has the off-court questions. He is currently suspended for a year from the Celtics, and they've, they've kind of parted ways. And no matter what you think about a, about a situation, um, it's plausible that he's just kind of on the cross-off list for some teams. That could, that could include the Hawks. I'm not saying that's definitely the case for Atlanta, but he would be an interesting uh, PR question as well on top of everything else. And um, yeah, I, maybe the Hawks want to do that. I think that he and Snyder are the two guys who are not currently coaching who would be uh, real candidates. Everybody else is probably on a staff somewhere. So if the Hawks wanted to move quickly – 
the, the very logical names would be Snyder and Udoka. But uh, again, I, I'm not reporting it by any means, but I thought it was very interesting and notable to me that neither Woj nor Shams, none of those high-profile guys even threw him out there today. And uh, that was something that I noticed. I think people around the league knows too. Last question, Brad. Um, Joe Prunty, he's been a, a coach before. He took over for Jason Kidd, uh, coached the Bucks, and they lost the playoff series to the Celtics. Short of him getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, any chance that they would retain him, or is it kind of association with Nate uh, at the end of the day with all this? I think that the simple the, the simple reaction would be that he, it would take a lot. Uh, I used to conference finals. Um, it was interesting to me going back in, in my notes when they promoted Nate after firing Lloyd Pierce. There was none of this, like, instant candidate list last time around. Like, and today, it seemed like the Hawks had a prepared candidate list to leak to reporters whereas that didn't happen last time around. I think Joe Prunty is a respected assistant coach, but it would take him putting together a heck of a run, I think, to even be a candidate, much less be the lock to keep his job. Whereas with Nate, he had the gravitas. He had the history. Nate's a top 20 all-time guy in head coaching wins the NBA. It was not inconceivable at all that Nate um, would be the head coach full-time. Whereas with Prunty, I think it really might take what you said, like a conference finals run, like finishing the season 17-6 and six and winning a playoff series or two, to even get him on the list, much less actually making making him a coach. So it's not impossible, but uh, it's not. It, it would be because of him. But I think the Hawks want to go probably outside of the uh, current structure, and that kind of plays against him. Check out his Locked On Hawks podcast, a daily podcast about the Atlanta Hawks and Locked On Network. Brad Roland, join us here on the WaitFor.com hotline. You can follow him on his Twitter page at BT Roland. Brad, as always, buddy, appreciate it, man. Thanks so much uh, for the chat. And uh, listen, we'll talk again soon here as we. Try to figure out the rest of this season so far. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You got it. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back with the Chuck Show. Headed toward the top of the hour. I guess it's Tuesday. I keep thinking it's Monday. Uh, at President's Day off. So, Tuesday night with you. JR Sports Brief coming up at the top of the hour. Brown like a music hour rolling right along. 404-741-0929. That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Honestly, app is how you catch us when you are on the go. Social media is at 929thegame on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm at JMCH316. Well, it was a uh, busy weekend in the wrestling world as we had a pay-per-view, or a premium live event as they're now called, and it was the return of the WWE on a and E. So let's start first with uh, let's start first with the NWO. Um, <laughs> there, never believe a word that comes out of Hulk Hogan's mouth. That's all I can tell you. There, there's a lot of revisionist history. You know, look, uh, the NWO biography. Look, Hogan. The reason Hogan decided that he wanted to be part of the NWO because. He was wavering, and and they were going to make Sting. The reason he was wavering is because he wanted to see how hot it got before he decided to go and do that. Uh, there, there's no other reason. It, it's He wanted to see if this thing was going to catch fire, and then when Nash and Hall started getting over and they started gaining in popularity, Hogan went on their coattails and decided he would be the third member and all that kind of stuff. So... It, again, a lot of revisionist history when it comes to all of that. Yes, it, it was huge and it was iconic when he turned heel at Bash of the Beach 96 and 
you know, that moment and everything and all the trash that went in the ring, but he was he was doing it for his own reasons. But anyway, um, the Hogan-Andre, <laughs> again, revisionist history. The Hogan-Andre Rivals program, look, this, this has been discussed by a million people. Hogan, they, they knew that Andre was going to do the job at WrestleMania 3. Okay? Vince knew it. Everybody knew it. That Hogan was going to, or sorry, Andre the Giant was going to do the job at WrestleMania 3. The reason he didn't tell Hogan is because he wanted to F with Hogan. He wanted to screw around with Hogan and give him something to think about. But there was never not going to be a scenario where Andre the Giant didn't take the one, two, three pinfall from Hogan. He always discussed that, and everybody knew of any person of merit or power. So when when Hogan says, well, it was the only match that I went into that I didn't know what was going to happen, they all knew. They knew Andre was going to do the job. They knew they were going to let him slam. And by the way, you know, Hogan had slammed Andre at the Shea Stadium match. Well, and, and Andre hadn't, it isn't like Andre hadn't been slammed before. He'd been slammed by Hogan. He'd been slammed by Harley Race. He'd been slammed by several guys. And Hogan slammed him at the Shea Stadium match. That, that's the funny thing is that they didn't bring that up, that Hogan had slammed him before. So this, it's all revisionist history. When, when Hulk Hogan talks about this, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, they did. They they knew that Andre was going to do the job. There was never a doubt about that. He just wanted to F with Hogan. He just wanted to play a rib on Hogan and and lead him down, you know, this pathway, thinking, you know, something. But but Andre was always going to do the job. They, they, Andre wasn't going to be the champion and, and beat Hogan and start touring as the champion or anything like that. Like, that wasn't going to happen. That That, that wasn't going to happen. So, you know, again, the revisionist history. Now, the pay-per-view, the Elimination Chamber. I got to tell you, this was another home run pay-per-view. And I'm going to say this. This is the best start that WWE has had to the start of a year, probably maybe since 98. The 98 Rumble was fantastic. You know, the whole Mike Tyson thing on Raw after that and the build-up to WrestleMania. This has been the best start in maybe 25 years for the WWE because this was another good pay-per-view. I thought the Elimination Chamber match with the women, I thought the women's Elimination Chamber match was better than the women's Royal Rumble. The Brock, Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, that was, I don't know what the deal was with all of that. That that was not a good finish, and I didn't understand that. And I will say Edge and Beth Phoenix versus uh, the Judgment Day with Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley. Beth Phoenix and Rhea Ripley tore it up. Those two were outstanding. They 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 had a really good match. Like I would I would like to watch that match just as a a singles match between Rhea Ripley and Beth Phoenix. And Beth Phoenix is one of the best of all time. But that was that was fantastic. I think the women stole the show in some ways. Um, the men's elimination chamber, it's it's a gimmick match that they look for participants in, and everybody's gotta outdo 
you know, at some point, somebody's going to just climb to the top of the elimination chamber and dive through the chains and go on to everybody because that's all it is. It's just a spot fest. I thought the women had a little bit more of an organized match in it. But when you get the guys together, I mean, for instance, Johnny Gargano and Montez Ford and even Bronson Reed to some degree. I mean, are those main event caliber guys? I, I know the thing was for the U.S. title. I know it was for for hit for Austin Theory's U.S. title, but I could I could go behind Austin Theory. I could go behind Seth Franklin Rollins, and I could go behind Damian Priest. I could go behind all those guys. Another two guys, three guys. Eh, I don't know, and especially not Johnny Gargano. Like 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 at any point were they going to give the title to him or Montez Ford? I mean, let's be real. Let's be real. Either either Rollins was going to win, Priest was going to win, or Theory was going to win. Those are the only three guys in the match that were going to win. Now, the main event, Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn. And this started on Friday night with that crowd in Montreal and Sami Zayn's hometown, and that crowd was electric. They were ready for that main event. And I thought it was a fantastic match. The only criticism I have of the main event, Roman versus Sami Zayn, is it took a long time to get there. And there are a lot of people online discussing the idea of they should have put the belt on Sami Zayn. No, they shouldn't have. There's a bigger story to all of this. That would have been a cool moment, but that doesn't advance the story. The story is Cody versus Roman at WrestleMania and Cody Rhodes being the baby face that's going to pilot the company forward and having that moment. It, w- it would have been just a fun moment, but it doesn't advance a bigger story. And that's what Cody and Roman is going to be. It w- and it, by the way, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense for Roman to do a job there when he's going to do a job at WrestleMania. Like he's going to lose to Cody Rhodes. There ain't no doubt about it. Cody Rhodes is going to win the championships and have both belts, and he'll have that Daniel Bryan kind of moment, but he'll put the belts in the air, and it'll be like Becky two belts. You know, he, he'll he be the, the, the heavyweight champion. And that's all building to that moment. But the right guy won the match. And I don't have a problem with some of the things that went on with the ref bumps and stuff like that, and they didn't really advance the Uso storyline. That didn't really get advanced. Paul Heyman was kind of ridiculous when he tried to attack uh, Sami Zayn. You know, I, that that part of it kind of drug out for a while. But that was a really good match, really good false finishes. But the right guy won at the end of the day. This is not about making, you know, that particular crowd happy. This is about a bigger story. This is about telling a, a, a bigger storyline to all of this kind of stuff. And Roman versus Cody is the big main event match, and it will be. Now, Kevin Owens came down. Maybe him and Sammy at some point will team up. I saw Raw last night. They were, you know, you know, uh, Kevin Owens was like, I didn't do this for you. I did it for, you know, for to get the bloodline or whatever like that. Maybe they'll team up and beat the Usos. But the story does not advance by Sammy just winning and having that moment. It's got to be Cody that wins the whole thing and is the first guy to pin Roman in whatever it is, 800 days or, you know, almost like three years, you know, uh, believe it or not, Happy Corbin is the last guy to have pinned 
Roman Reigns. But it's got it, it's all setting itself up for that WrestleMania moment. And that's the biggest moment of the year. You don't take other things and stuff like that and try to fake create. You save it for the biggest moment of the year. And that's Cody versus Roman. And Cody's going to pin him one, two, three, however it works itself out. And he's going to hold up both belts and he'll be the champion. And he's going to run forward with the company. They're going to they're going to strap the rocket ship onto him and they're going to push him forward as the baby face of that territory. So uh, really good pay-per-view. I think it's the best start to WWE in several years, but um, it was another good show on Saturday night. All right. We will wrap things up with a love TKO up next. Chuck me for a few more minutes in the key studios, sports radio, 92 on the game, the odyssey.com app. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. We're wrapping things up on the John Chuckra Show, as we always do with that love TKO. Jared Sports Brief coming up for your listening pleasure up next. Before we get out of here, though, I want you to listen to what is the greatest opening lyric in all of music history. Looking back for my years, I guess I shed some tears. All right, we'll be with you for the rest of the week. We'll be here tomorrow night, uh, full show tomorrow. And then, uh, you know, Friday, we've got the Hawks basketball. So we will be on after the Hawks. And uh, we'll see. It's a new era of Hawks basketball. So we'll see what they do against the, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And not going to be an easy way to start. And uh, the schedule gets ramped up and amped up pretty good. So, um, you know, it's... It's a very interesting schedule because it really isn't easy. You got a couple games with Brooklyn. You got a couple games with Boston. You got, uh, I think, four games with Washington, a couple games in Miami, a couple of games with the Cavaliers. Uh, you got some West Coast uh, teams or Western Conference teams, I should say, uh, that you got to play. You got to go to San Antonio. You got to go to Minnesota. You know, you got, um, you got Golden State that's going to come here yet. So it's not going to be the easiest schedule. You got the, yeah, you got the Pistons mixed in there, but you don't have some of the dregs of the universe. You got several teams that are either right in front of you or right behind you. You know, especially Washington. I mean, you know, depending on how those four games go with Washington, all of a sudden they can move up a spot and pass you by. They're a half game out. They're a half game away from the Atlanta Hawks, and the Raptors are only one game back of the Atlanta Hawks. And, of course, we don't play Toronto in this final tri- uh, 23 games. But there's going to be some some good teams. We've got Philadelphia one time. So at least we don't have Milwaukee. At least we don't have the, the Knicks anymore. So we got some of those teams out of the way. But certainly when you look at the schedule, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't get easy. And the Hawks have not done a good job of taking advantage of any point in the schedule this year. They, they have not taken advantage of any point and hence they sit at 29 and 30 so this will be an interesting 23 games it'll go by quick too it'll go by real quick and um we'll see how you know what the hawks do for their next head coach um if it is quinn snyder he's not with a team but most likely he will not start the the year or start the you know coach for the hawks this season i mean you're gonna want everything in place and get a coaching staff together and all those kinds of things. So I don't think that there'll be any kind of coaching change between now and the end of the season. I think that they will. What's the guy's name? Prunty. Uh, what's the guy's name? Prunty. He'll he'll round out the season and then he'll carry him to whatever happens in the playoffs and things like that. But short of the Eastern Conference Finals, he won't be around. So he'll be on your fourth coach 
in the Trey Young era. So that's not necessarily a good sign. So we'll see what happens with all of it. All right. For uh, Garrett, this Chuckery, we got to get out of here. We'll see you. AMF. I can't let it go. If I know what's going on.